I've become fond of a podcast by Emily P. Freeman that's really popular. You might have heard of it. It's the next right thing. It focuses on decision making, but that's largely an on-ramp to talk about formation, who we are and who we're becoming. Every episode closes when she says this. While this is a podcast about making decisions, the bigger truth is that our daily decisions are making our lives. So I hope this simple practice of whatever it was that episode can be one more rung in the trellis upon which your rhythm of life can grow. The whole reason there can be a podcast solely devoted to decision making is, of course, that it's hard. It's hard to know what is best. It's hard to know the future will be different because of a choice. It's hard to face uncertainty. People sometimes hope that turning to God in the midst of decisions will offer a kind of clarity and certainty that eliminates those difficulties. But that's seldom true. And yet, God does have a lot to offer us when we face unknown futures, when we have a choice to make by a deadline, when we aren't sure what the next chapter of life should include, or just generally feel off and wonder why. The offer is wisdom. God offers wisdom. Biblical wisdom is the idea that God truly knows what's best, what leads to life. God's wisdom is not just an attribute. It's an identity marker. God isn't just wise. God is wisdom. In fact, wisdom and life, according to biblical writers, are only found in God. John 28, 23, for example, says, God alone understands the way to wisdom. God knows where it can be found. It's interesting then to hear Luke, for example, speak of young Jesus by saying, and this is Luke 2.40, there the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. To know God then is to have access to wisdom and not the small kind, the power to know the future, but the ability to know what is right, good, and leads to life. There must be something in your life you need wisdom for. Is there a decision to make, an uncertainty you face, a path you'll need to walk, but it's new and unfamiliar? I want to pause and just offer you 10 seconds to quietly identify it. What do you need wisdom for right now? Now, if God offers wisdom, how do we access it? A number of weeks back, you may remember that Curtis talked about trust, how it flows from a confidence in three main things. First, trusting power. Can Jesus actually do the things he says, especially things that bring life? And we saw Matthew's version of a yes, miracles that show Jesus's power even over death itself. Second, trust flows from a confidence in love. Does Jesus really want what is best for us, for others, for the world? Can we trust the direction he leads, the life he promises, that they are truly good? And Matthew's yes, again, flows out of Jesus's proximity to those left out, his tenderness towards those who are overlooked. And Jesus is loving. That leaves a final piece, because as Ben Patterson says, this works like a three-legged stool, and without one, it will all topple. Power love, and wisdom. Wisdom is third, and trust flows from a confidence in Jesus's wisdom. We access wisdom then as we practice trusting Jesus. 
But since that is simple to say and less simple to do, that's where Matthew's insight into the wisdom of Jesus can be especially helpful for us. What Matthew saw was wisdom, God's very wisdom now in Jesus. And the proof to him lay in the way Jesus could go toe to toe with the wisest of the day. Around Jesus, the groups claiming to represent God's wisdom are the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They are the interpreters of the law, claiming that their way of following Torah leads to life, especially a life where God kicks out Rome and fully restores the people to the land. Life where exile is finally fully over because the people have kept their side of the covenant correctly. So Matthew chapters 22 and 23 are where Matthew pulls all these accounts together to make the case for Jesus's wisdom. He's setting Jesus up as true wisdom, the one who knows the way to life. There are four sections here, and each gives us an insight into what wisdom is and is not. Here's how they go. First, the Pharisees asked Jesus to weigh in on paying a tax to Caesar. Everyone hated this tax because, as N.T. Wright reminds us, it was demanded by Rome as a reward for having your land stolen. But Jesus' answer points out the hypocrisy of their very question. They're handling all this money, too, that everyone hates so much. They're going through these motions. And Jesus even pokes at how they're worried more about Rome than they are actually focused on God. This is our first lesson. Whereas the Pharisees and the Sadducees have been sure that their actions control what God will do. Instead, we can learn this. Wisdom isn't found by staring at our situation and predetermining the only way God could make it right. It's found in looking for God to lead us bit by bit. Next up, the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection, and who apparently stayed up until 3 a.m. drinking in their dorm rooms until they could come up with the most ludicrous story ever to make heaven sound dumb. But the story's dumb. It's a dumb story. Starts in verse 24. If a man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. This is an Old Testament law, by the way. It's meant to protect women and children by keeping land in a family, since that's kind of what kept that family unit safe. The story goes on. Well, suppose there were seven brothers. The oldest one married, then died without children, so his brother married the widow, but the second brother also died, and then the third brother married her. This continued with all seven of them. Last of all, the woman also died. So tell us, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? For all seven were married to her. And Jesus comes back. Your mistake is that you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. So first, as to the subject of marriage, Jesus isn't saying you won't be married, but rather people won't be given in marriage. The institution at the time that protected land and ensured procreation, like I mentioned, it won't be needed because like angels, we're going to live forever. And as for wisdom, it's not found in creating abstract, irrelevant questions and then seeing if the Bible can address them. The point of knowing the Bible is to know God. The point of knowing God is to experience life. And the reason we need wisdom is so our regular experiences can be infused with power and wisdom that God is eager to give us. Wisdom is meant for questions about our families and our jobs and our friends. It is not meant for answering how many angels can fit on the head of a pin. And that's our second lesson we can see here. Wisdom isn't for the abstract. It's for the everyday. Next up, there's a tag team. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap Jesus with this question. Teacher, 
What is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Trivia time. How many commandments could Jesus choose from in this question? Is it 467, 812, or 603? Take a guess. If you guess the third option, 603, you are right. But the law is meant to be a contextual application of what these two things mean. When you exclusively love and trust God, and then that plays out, that's the law. Because it's meant to be for Israel in their time and place. But the bigger point, the principle that will last over centuries is that God is where life is found. And so we love in response. The commandments are footnotes to the main point. And that's our third lesson, that wisdom isn't meant to help us pick the best rules to follow. It's meant to help us walk in the way of love. All right, so that's three of the four encounters. And here is the next one. Jesus throws out the question. Surrounded by the Pharisees, Jesus asked them, what do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? They replied, he is the son of David. Jesus responded, then why does David, speaking under inspiration of the Spirit, call the Messiah my Lord? For David said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David calls the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? No one could answer him. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Matthew has been building to this moment. He has a strategy. First, Jesus takes on the Pharisees, then the Sadducees, then both together. Then he asks a stumper. It's all building and building to a crescendo, each instant bolstering the case that Jesus is where wisdom and therefore life are found. In this case, we see that Jesus is not only Israel's Messiah, David's descendant, but also God in a body, David's Lord. And as such, the enemies aren't Rome or any other nation around Israel. They are the power of sin and the death it brings. The enemies that Jesus will put under his feet are humanity's enemy. He's going to defeat sin for all of us. Because again, the point is life. Wisdom isn't found by staring at our situation and predetermining the only way that God can make it right. It's found in looking for God to lead us bit by bit. Wisdom isn't for the abstract. It's for the everyday. Wisdom isn't meant to help us pick the best rules to follow. It helps us walk in the way of love. And wisdom is for life. And Jesus we're meant to see is wisdom, who we trust for life. We access wisdom as we become better friends with him. And in that friendship, we share the situations and the decisions and the relational challenges we face with our friend Jesus. Then we listen. That's how we access wisdom. That's the way to life. May your friend Jesus find you there today. Amen.